When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Regular host Yaz Rana has gone into hiding after the panel he chaired overlooked Ben Stokes for ODI Team of the Decade, so I'll be filling in for today. Later in the show, Dan Gannon will be calling in to give us a staff African perspective on England's upcoming test series. But first, joining us in London are two of Wisdom's own, Phil Walker and Tara Hashim. We'll get into a bumper preview of the Boxing Day test in a bit, but first... Seasons greetings both. Yeah, good afternoon, Ben. Cheers, cheers as ever. Um, if Yaz has gone into hiding for merely chairing that debate, I was one of the people on that debate uh, who omitted Ben Stokes from the, the ODI. Yeah, you, uh, you want me to cut this bit out so that people don't come for you, Phil? No, no, it's fine. I'm used to it now. Um, you just wear the brick bats day after day. But anyway, thank you for, for inviting me back onto the, to this old show. Two days before Christmas. And uh, hello to you, Ben. <laughs> thank you, thanks, 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 Taha. Uh, Taha, we'll start with you. What's your moment of the week? Uh, my moment of the week was uh, sort of waking up this morning to see uh, Nassim Shah, uh, 16-year-old uh, Pakistan prodigy, uh, had taken two wickets to, to seal a pretty historic win for Pakistan. Uh, the return of Test cricket to, to the country after 10 years, um, and it's the 16-year-old who sort of wins the game for them. Uh, a crushing victory over Sri Lanka in the in the second Test to give them the the series, um, and just yeah, just great to see to see. I mean, this he's been talked about for the last couple of months now, obviously uh, making his debut in Australia to see him get his first five for uh, in international cricket. I think it's, you know, it's really exciting. And of course, in the first inning, Shaheen Afridi uh, got his first test five for. Um, so these two guys who, you know, I guess were tipped for things to do things in Australia that obviously did not pan out um, at all um, to see them, uh, you know, play such a key role um, in a really sort of important victory for for Pakistan was uh, was quite nice to see, I thought. Yeah, we'll get onto to the historic nature of the win in a second, but the game itself was a, a weird one, wasn't it? Because it looked after two innings like it was going to be kind of like a low-scoring shootout, and then Pakistan just bad forever. Like the second time in Test history that all of the top four have made made a century, and like all of a sudden the, the game was done, basically. It was, it was odd. I can't really think of a... Like there's not many games that change so dramatically after two innings to become that one-sided. Yeah, and I guess there's just a lot of sort of great little stories in there. Um, Abid Ali coming in, uh, having an incredible series. His first man to hit a century on Test debut and ODI debut, and then he follows it up with another with another Test century. Um, and then, of course, we talk about him all the time on this podcast. Uh, Baba Azam keeps doing um, it. Yeah. Just keeps doing it. What a, what a year he's had. Yeah, Azra Ali back to form as well, and uh, your favourite, Sean Massoud, Phil. Or your second favourite after Babar, I guess. Yeah, well, firstly, before we get on to the Sean Massoud story, which is a lovely one, incredible test match. 170 uh, all out, I think it was, first innings, Pakistan, um, uh, on a pitch that was doing a bit. Uh, and thankfully, we found it, didn't we, on the on the the Sky satellite channels, number 715. So I watched quite a lot of this game in the end, and... Uh, it looked like, as you say, it was going to be a nip and tuck 
uh, game of cricket. And then, as often happens in the subcontinent, the pitch flattens out even more. So the days to bat on it are days two, three, four. Uh, that said, Pakistan was 70-odd behind on the first innings, and it would have been uh, one hell of an anticlimax if they'd followed that, you know, with respect, that washout of a first test match with a home defeat. That would have really put a dampener on what was otherwise a phenomenally important and symbolic moment, as it was. As you say, 500 for three, 540-odd for three, I think they were, in their second innings, Pakistan. Uh, Abid Ali and Shah Massoud put on 270-odd, I think, for that first wicket. Uh, they won the game comfortably in the end, needing no more than 10 minutes on, on day five. If you'd given those odds at the start of the of day two, when Pakistan were behind the eight ball, you know, you'd have got very, very good ones for that. So it's a great, great result for Pakistan, great result for cricket, no question, and a great result... Or a great outcome for a handful of individuals as well, as you mentioned, the young lads. But then there's it's kind of a pathological thing in Pakistan, isn't it? You have another teenage quick tear away and so on. It's great that they've actually got their results, having been smashed all over the place by Warner a month ago. And that would have been quite a chastening experience in Australia. That 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 was a worry. That, you know, he played that first test and then obviously bowled so much and then they didn't play him in the second. It's like, all right, so this kid's come in, he's great talent, and now... I guess we won't see him for a few years. That yeah, kind of, yeah. That kind and of there is always that that lurking danger in Pakistan cricket. If you don't crack it early on, then you drift away. You know, and, um, just on the Shah Massoud thing, I, I met him only once, um, but I had a, a few dealings with him after that as well. And we had lunch in just outside Lords in the 2016 summer when Pakistan were over here, and he was part of that Test squad. He played at Lords in the first test match, did okay without doing great and was dropped for the latter part of that series. And he was struggling a bit with his game and you could sense that. Um, I happened to meet him for lunch because we had a mutual friend and we were looking to get the, the insider's take on that incredible summer when Mizbah, the press-ups, the win at Lords, the Eunice Khan, 200 at the Oval to complete that 2-2 and them leading themselves to, to number one in the world by the end of that summer, or certainly by the start of the, of the autumn. Sean Massoud is the most articulate man I think I've ever come across in cricket. And I count Zafar Ansari in that category, and one or two, and Ed Smith as well. Sean Massoud is a real, real kind of poet with words, really. He's from from a very, very striking, high-achieving family in Pakistan. And he's been doing... And he'd been doing good work up to then, but technically he was he was really struggling. He took himself away from that uh, from the pressure cooker, if you like, um, rebuilt his game, became a lot more chest on, opened up, opened up the onside. He is a Gary Palmer, but it wasn't just Gary Palmer that he was working with. I've seen some videos as well latterly, but he was fascinating company. He was clearly of the right kind of temperament for Test cricket, but his game was gone. Um, He's gone away, he's sorted himself out, and now he's come back and he's making test hundreds. He is undoubtedly uh, a test captain in waiting. I think once Azar Ali has enough, and he's in his early 30s, isn't he, Azar, already? And he's just caught the job. I know, but he, <laughs> but he, is, he is pushing. You know, he's 32, yeah. 33, I think. He might even be slightly older than that. Um, admittedly, Misbah was like, 58 when he <laughs> finally jacked it in. But Sean uh, Massoud's got the right kind of minerals, I think, to be a to be a Pakistani Test cricketer, and it's good to see that they are emerging now with a team that begins to make sense. You know, it's got class at the top, it's got runs in the middle with Baba, it's got 
Um, he's got some good young quicks, and it's and Yasir Shah was back in as well, taking a couple of wickets in the fourth innings. He's still a quality bowler with great pedigree. So it was it was great to see that result. I think without a doubt the story of the month. Yeah, the, the captaincy thing is interesting actually, uh, considering that I think Babar Azam most would assume is going to take on the role, but you, you don't you don't really want to spoil him, do you? I mean, if if you can give it to someone who's a, a bit less gifted and a bit more of a natural leader, and let him just get on with being like one of the greatest Pakistan batsmen of all time that's that's the ideal scenario isn't it yeah obviously you can spin it both ways um whether Shah Massoud becomes the long-term test captain or not he's the kind of character that you want around that team you know and they need they don't need Mavericks they need steady eddies Pakistan at the moment you know as they move into this new new era of their cricket uh, and it seems like they're getting the right kinds of characters in, in place. You mentioned Abid Ali. He's made loads of runs. He, again, he's 32-odd, I think, 32 years old. Um, that's a good pick, not just because he's he's performed, but that's a that's a sensible pick. It's got echoes of Misbah as well. You know, he made boatloads of runs in domestic cricket and then emerges in his early 30s. So, yeah, great result for the game, not just for Pakistan. Just a little word as well on, um, on Sri Lanka. Uh, fought, fought pretty well. Came unstuck on day four, uh, day three and four. But uh, good to see Kamara returning as well with the new ball, um, who's had his injury problems. But he's a he's a proper talent and he's fast. He's still only 22 years old. Um, I haven't been following his career that closely in the last year or two, but he's just been conspicuous by his absence more often than not. Uh, it's really good to see him back. It gives that Sri Lankan attack a little bit of little bit of tooth, you know, a little bit of. A little bit of oomph, I think. And it'll be interesting to see if he can stay fit, how they go, how they base their attack around him and one or two others as well. Um, England, of course, go out there in the new year. And Tara, I know you spoke to uh, Wazim Khan, the chief executive of the PCB, about the, the planning behind this series and uh, and the, how it felt at the time and I guess also the, the, the future ahead. Do you, do you think, for, I guess, firstly, how was that chat and do you think that, have we seen the last of Pakistan playing in the UAE, do you think? Well, that was the main sort of thing that I took away from that chat with with Wazim Khan was the fact that the UAE is now history um uh Pakistan is is now it's all of Pakistan's home games will be in Pakistan that's the that's the thinking behind it um obviously that is still dependent on what other sides will want to do um when I talked to Wazim Khan this was during the first test um we were talking a bit about Bangladesh coming in January um, since that chat, there's been some developments there where Bangladesh aren't aren't very keen on on playing tests in in Pakistan in January. They'd rather play in a neutral venue. Um, so you know, as much as there's the desire, and as we've seen with the series, the the ability to play tests in Pakistan, you know, not every touring side is still ready. You'd see, but um, he was very much intent on that. That is going to be the case going forward. Um, and there's been some positive developments during the test series as well the MCC are touring in February and it's it's a real credit to him as well I mean not that long into the job really and this was one of his stated goals and it had looked still quite a long way off not that long ago the proper return of cricket in its entirety to Pakistan and he's a he's achieved it basically and it's it seems like I mean it's not been that much clever it's not with like words or like sort of great statesmanship it's just with the they call it presidential level security, don't they? That's the uh, the key, basically. But it's, it's just done a great job of, I guess, convincing the teams. Because as well as it being a practical thing, it's also just a personal thing, isn't it? Of if you feel comfortable touring somewhere where there have been like the sort of the catastrophes that we have seen. Yeah, and he's very understanding of um, the 
as I guess as being a former player himself, he's got an understanding of how players might be feeling. Um, and we talked about Sri Lanka um, initially uh, coming over for, for the white ball tour um, and 10 of their players opting not to come. And he was totally understanding because, you know, these young guys, maybe they weren't involved in um, in the terror attack that happened 10 years ago, but they've heard stories about it and you could totally understand that perspective. Um, but, you know, he was looking at the positive side because the guys that did come, they got, uh, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, that presidential level of treatment. Um, and then they were the, the biggest advocates for Sri Lanka coming back, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot, a lot of credit obviously goes to him. And um, and the way it's good, yeah, it's got, it's from what we've seen, everything's gone so smoothly. Um, and it's been a process of action rather than just, you know, him coming out and consi- consistently saying things, you know, teams are teams have come over now and uh, are set to keep, continue coming over. Yeah, and then I, I think a, a final word on that series and on Nazim Shah. He's in a uh, in Pakistan's under nineteen World Cup squad. For uh, yeah, that's not on, is it? No, that's, that's <laughs> gonna, it could be quite quite nasty. Uh, Shaheen Afridi was in the squad last time, and that was bad. And, uh, he hadn't played a test at that point, at least. Um, and yeah, I remember one spell against Ireland when he took six for him was just bowling really like quick short balls, just a barrage against teenagers who uh, a lot of them won't have had like great deal of kind of professional training they, they'll be like no almost never aspiring to play pro cricket some of them more mm, sure yeah it's uh that's that's be interesting yeah, that ju- just, out. just as an aside i suppose they've been playing a triangular series haven't they is it sri lanka west indies england is that right of late yeah. uh england been doing okay I've, I've seen and they've named their squad uh this morning actually george balderson is the skipper um who was mentioned to me by paul allett when he was talking about young players at lancashire and he says he's absolutely an outstanding young player and they've got some good good names in there as well. Some players have already cracked through into into the the first class setup. Um, so yeah, it should be interesting. Should be. Should, I think England have got half a half a chance. It should be good to follow this one. I think. So moving on, Phil, what's your moment of the week? Well, it's not actually from this week. I think it's from a week and a bit ago. But because we've had all these uh, podcasts about decades in review and so on, this is actually our first topical one in a, in a week or two. Um, I, I didn't watch an enormous amount of the Perth Test match uh, between Australia and New Zealand, but I, but what I did see, um, I happened I happened to catch the really good bits of that game. Uh, the evening session on day two, uh, after Australia had piled it on four hundred and plenty, um, was some of the the best most intense cricket you can possibly imagine, and it's undoubtedly uh, helped and exacerbated by the lights it being a day-night game, the pink ball and so on and so on. Um, Ross Taylor was standing tall, uh, uh, pretty much a lone alone kind of blockage uh, against Cummins et al. as they were running in, you know, a well-juiced crowd, capacity crowd at Perth's brilliant new stadium cheering them on. Uh, Hazelwood went down injured quite quickly and so Cummins um, and Stark in particular were... were carrying the attack on their own. Kane Williamson batted as Kane Williamson does until he was taken at slip uh, by Steve Smith, one of the all-time great catches, flying full-length one-hander uh, as the ball was, because it was at Perth, was continuing to rise and he just clutched it out in the air. Um, it was just thrilling, intense cricket. And again, Australia have got this day-night thing nailed, haven't they? You know, I think that was the ninth 
day-night game played around the world and there's only been, I think, 16 games all, all in. So Australia have really taken this idea and run with it. Uh, now, I know they have the conditions, they have the atmospherics and so on and so on, but in a lot of places around the world, they have to look at Australia and look at how they're doing it and really, really back this thing, I think, because... There is something about cricket at night time that just brings out the drama. Uh, and it also balances the, you know, that ongoing it, it, eternal kind of challenge of the bat versus the ball and, and so on and so on. The ball comes to life a little bit more, but you can score runs as we saw in, in this test match. You know, Ross Taylor drilled the last ball of that session for four straight back pass mid on turn put his bat under his arm and walked off 70 odd not out it was absolutely brilliant brilliant innings and his his team would were down almost out by the end of that session because Stark had been so good and Cummins had been so good but it was just great great test cricket uh, it's thrilling memorable stuff and it evoked actually the the session at Adelaide day 4 of the ashes mm-hmm. When Cummins was running in at root and Milan, and Milan was playing quite nicely before Cummins just bulldozed through him with about five minutes to go. But root was not out at the end of that. 70-odd not out, having batted through that session. And, and that was edge of your seat test cricket as well. Um, they're doing it well out there in Australia. Uh, and and we, the rest of the world game within reason has to, has to follow, I think. Uh, naturally, Australia won the game quite comfortably. Yeah, well, I guess that's looking forward. It's almost could be the same old kind of story for for New Zealand over there. They kind of go like have quite a lot of hopes of of doing pretty well, and then it all unravels kind of fairly quickly and predictably, where their bowlers don't quite have that that tooth, and the the, the Australia's bowlers do have the penetration that even when the Cambridge, as you say, playing so well, they they can find that mistake and they're pretty pretty ruthless basically. I mean, it unravels so quickly for New Zealand because of Lockie Ferguson going down. Um, and I, you know, I was really excited to watch him play. Um, well, this this brings in the substitute fielder question. Surely now it's only a matter of time before you name a twelve, and that is an active twelve. Uh, now we have quite rightly, of course, the um, concussion substitute. Uh, you know, famously, Marnus comes in at Lords for Smith, builds a Test career on the back of that. Uh, that's sensible. It's self-evidently necessary how we can be playing test cricket now five-day games all of the pomp all of the money all of the profile and scrutiny around it and then someone turns an ankle after the first half an hour and you don't see him again you didn't see Hazelwood in 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 Australia's uh, bowling attack after after an over and a bit and su- such as it was with Lockie Ferguson, you can't be playing 10 v 10 or 10 v 11 or maybe even 9 v 11. You can't, you just can't be doing that uh, pl- across a game that goes on for the best part of a week. So surely it's only a matter of time now before the game grasps this problem. Now, I know that there will be people saying, well, teams will take advantage of it. Teams will manipulate the situation, blah, blah, blah. Well, firstly, independent doctors uh, assessing the state of that individual will preclude any any skullduggery pretty much. But also, personally, I would just remove any question of that anyway. I would just embrace the idea of playing with a with an active substitute. I would embrace that. I would say bring it on. And if you want to bring him bring him in for an injured or otherwise player, then I would be be comfortable with that in theory. However they want to to spin it, in the end you can't have this this state of affairs. Not not in modern test cricket, I don't think. Yeah, I, I mean but the, for for me, having just like a almost like a rotating twelve, like a IPL style super sub kind of thing, that's 
it feels like possibly a step too far away from the traditional test cricket. And I, I like the idea on the injury basis, but I don't, I don't see teams sort of abusing it so much in claiming a player's not really injured when they are. But I do see teams sort of taking a risk on a player who might be unfit when otherwise that kind of comes into team selection things it's just and, and that it, would bother you well why, why would it bother you if England were to go into that next test match with James Anderson 75% fit why would uh, but they they would have Mark Wood on the bench or whoever it may be on the bench as, as that 12th man is this is an entertainment we are so precious about test cricket test cricket's been running for three centuries test cricket is uh been four days six days eight ball overs six ball overs it's been written off a thousand times and it will be written off again. To me, there are more urgent and important issues at hand if we're talking about the survival and the potential flourish of future test cricket than whether we allow a substitute fielder or not. Yeah, or a I substitute guess, cricketer or not. I guess I almost worry that you might see, rather than it working in favour of players' health, as the concussion sub rule definitely does, this would possibly work against it if you end up sort of asking a player who's 75 centimetres to play just to see they sort of aggregate something out for a bit longer. Yeah, I mean... I, 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 <laughs> You're just massively concerned about the potentially iffy hamstrings of, of men up and down the land. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an ongoing concern for, but, for all of us. But look, the overriding point, though, is you cannot have a game that is skewed so early in the piece because it... it discredits so much of what's what's to follow if you have a four-man bowling attack one spinner three quicks and one of your quicks goes down in the first half an hour it makes a mockery of what's to follow then that has to be addressed yeah all right <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to agree that sounds, I'm right. <laughs> sounds good uh well okay so look anyway that was my moment of the week yeah should, 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 we, should we do a, <laughs> is, is there a way back for for new zealand in this series i mean i guess there, there's a chance isn't there but yeah, I mean, Australia are not absolutely dominant. Um, they're not dominant in the way that they used to be. That said, they are very difficult to beat at home. Um, people went into this series, pundits went into it thinking, oh, New Zealand have got a really good chance. Personally, I didn't, I, I didn't have that much optimism. I think when New Zealand cricketers walk into Australia, unless Hadley's leading, leading their attack at Brisbane, they don't tend to really deliver very often. Um and Australia, you feel like they are re-emerging. You know, they've gone through their rocky couple of years. They've got their big, their big hitters back in the right places. Um, Smith hasn't scored that many runs yet either. I mean, Smith is due. I mean, that's that's what must irritate New Zealand is that Warner and Smith didn't really get the runs in, in that first test. But then we have this new phenomenon, you know, really. Yeah, yeah, phenomenon, and it's you know Labuschagne. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, top ten in the world already. Labuschagne's only been a Test cricket for six months. It's it's a stunning story. Um, look, if New Zealand win the toss, you know, and if they can put four hundred on the board, then then stranger things have happened. But Australia tend to win the toss when they're at home in clutch games and always back for five sessions. So look, we shall see. I think it's if if they can if they can pick one from here, if they can. Nick one game and go down 2-1, that's probably not a bad result uh, for New Zealand from where they are now. The other box in the test is, of course, England against Africa yeah. in Centurion, which I think looks out to be a kind of a fascinating series. England series often seem to be 
a flawed side against another flawed side somehow is how we end up billing them. But uh, that's what that's what they both are. Both bowling dominated. Obvious weaknesses in those. Uh, how do you see it panning out? Well, first I'm sort of hoping for um, England to have a healthy a healthy squad. Um, it's kind of we're trying to trying to think of how England are going to line up because of illnesses to Leach, Broad, Anderson. Uh, sorry, Broad and Archer. Um, three guys you'd probably expect to be in that in that att- first choice attack. Um, but yeah, no, it's going to be an interesting series because South Africa themselves have been this. They've got what seven uncut players in their squad for the first two tests. Um, Temba Bavuma's injured, who is I think vice captain. Yeah. Um, so you know, two sides kind of you know in transition, I guess. But I guess that that gets thrown around quite a bit. Um, uh, yeah, kind of a weird one, I guess. Eng- especially with England um, going down one 0 against New Zealand, but they kind of ended it in a, on a sort of upbeat note. Especially with Root getting that double century. Apart from the, the Denley drop, which will never. Apart from the Denley <laughs> drop, yeah. Um, and so they're they're kind of coming on with a bit of a bounce. They've got this new style that they're going to play, um, which they kind of sort of were nailing down in that second test. Um, so I'm really just quite interested in seeing whether they can continue that against a South African pace attack. Yeah, it does feel like, again, a lot depends on Archer and on if he's fit and on just that extra dimension that he brings. I, I, I guess it, it seems like it always does. I wonder, does it does it so much in South Africa where it's the pitches are quick? Does that bring him more into the game because, uh, like, obviously that benefits him? Or does it mean that kind of anyone can kind of get the benefits from that and it kind of you know how they say like on a turning track uh the the, the best spinners are sort of you you bring down the gap between the two sides is, is that the case with with quicks and the kind of pitches we might see or do you think, think archer will dominate it's a good question really i think it's it's within reason centurion's the quickest tr- uh, track in the world according to crickviz over the last few years centurion is the fastest cricket pitch in world cricket uh quicker than perth um Quicker than Joburg, which can be fast at certain times. Uh, quicker than anywhere in England. Uh, quicker than Brisbane as well, which is also very, very quick. Uh, I would say that Archer, if he can't crank it up for Centurion, then the enigma that is already Joffre becomes ever more impenetrable and unpickable and impossible to understand. You would think that as a quick bowler, you are absolutely desperate for a pitch like this. But, of course, the flip side is that so will Rabada be. You know, Rabada has the greater pedigree. Uh, Rabada does it day in, day out in all cricket. He's, along with Bumrah and Cummins, probably the most complete fast bowler of the last few years, last two years. Uh, either of those two can go can go bonkers here, can go stratospheric and clean, you, clean a side up in an hour or two. Uh, but you're also right that, you know, quick pitches provide good cricket, and if you if you're a batsman and a good back foot batsman, then you would be relishing it. You would think you, you just want pace on the ball. That's what makes for good cricket. And and as I say, you know, England have got some half decent players uh, in that in that top six. It will be really fancying it. You know, Ben Stokes on a on a quick track uh, with the ball coming on, and he can trust playing through the line, playing on the up. Uh, he could do all kinds of damage, as of course we saw at Cape Town two or three years ago. Personally, I think this, this is a genuinely quite intriguing series. Um, I think South Africa have a really good opportunity to to begin to rebuild um, after 
the loss of a number of legends and the loss of some of their self-respect as well uh, uh, and having to wave goodbye to cricketer after cricketer who's heading over to county cricket must must really kick you quite quite hard and your yourself your self worth is affected i think the whole cricketing culture um is affected by the by what's happening at the moment so when you hear that boucher is in place now as head coach when you hear that graham smith is now in place as director of cricket these are good things um so it's massive for them but it's also huge for England as well. You know, as, as we've said on this show before, Joe Root is desperate to, to properly stamp his mark on this team. And they don't really win test series away from home very often. Um, uh, and so this is, this is a golden opportunity for them. And four test matches, so it will feel meaty and, and substantial in the way that sometimes these overseas tours don't. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you've done 15 minutes with him anyway. Yeah, that's all right. So, yeah. Yeah, the, the situation in South African cricket is a fascinating one. And uh, I spoke to our tour correspondent, Dan Gallen, who is in Centurion uh, about all things South African cricket uh, ahead, of the, the, ahead of the series. Hi, Dan. Welcome back. What's your moment of the week? I guess my moment of the week was when we spoke to Faf Duplessis at the Open Media Day last week, Friday. There just seems to be a, a renewed optimism within the camp. The last time I spoke to Faf Duplessis was at the was the last presser of the World Cup when South Africa had just beaten Australia. But it really was, you know, you know a, a hollow victory, as it were, because South Africa was so abject throughout the tournament. So just seeing Faf Duplessis with a smile on his face and just feel like he, you know, he's, he just seems back in control. That there, there's, a, there's a calmness around the camp with Mark Balcher as head coach. Yeah, so just, I guess, the glint in, in Faf Duplessis' eye was my moment of the week. That's lovely. Uh, there's a bit of context, isn't there? Because South African cricket has been in a bit of a mess, I guess, recently. There's been, what, some threatened player strikes. The Mazanzi Super League just seems like a bit of a, a money drain, maybe. Jealous had their accreditations revoked. So you said you say Mark Boucher's back in, or he's in as head coach. Uh, Graham Smith has been appointed as director of cricket. Does that, does it, is that a, a new leaf being turned over, or is it sort of just papering over the cracks, you think? I guess, how, how, how deep do the problems... Do the problems go in South African cricket? I, I mean, it's. I think we can hold the position that it's it's both papering over cracks as well as a new leaf being turned over. It's it's a new leaf being turned over because it, it shows that cricket South Africa is is determined to turn the focus back onto the cricket field after a year, as you said, of mismanagement of um, economic wastefulness. I mean, the Mzansi Super League, despite having you know producing really good stuff on the field. I think it's cost the the country something like 20 million rand. I, it's some exorbitant figure. Um, it's papering over cracks because the board is still largely in, in place. The it, it wasn't just the ousted president, uh, big pardon, ousted chief executive Tabang Moreau, uh, who was the sole cause of the of the lack of confidence. Chris Nanzani, the president, is still there as his board members, um, several of whom have have come out and said that what has happened is a uh, you know with the ousting of certain of certain people within the board has not been conducive to moving south africa in the right direction so i don't think it's it's necessarily the wholesale change that it appears but it, it's probably a bit a, a bit more concrete than papering over cracks mark mark boucher um i think is the most qualified person for the job even though he's not necessarily the most popular figure graham smith is certainly the most 
uh, qualified for the job. And Jacques Faure, the new chief executive, um, comes with a, a really good reputation of the work that he's done with the Titans franchise. Of course, Mark Boucher was coach of the Titans before he got this gig with the Proteus. So, yeah, optimism, but, but, but still cautious optimism. Having spoken to Jacques Faure last week, the financial problems aren't going to go away even if South Africa win this Test Series 4-0. The, the Gordian knot that is the Mzanzi Super League still needs to be untangled. So, quiet optimism, but, but it's not all rainbows and sunshine just yet. Yeah, and I guess that m- maybe if it's, uh, even if there are still longer-term problems, the kind of new manager bounce could see them, see them good against England, I guess. Well, exactly. And, and, and like I said earlier, looking at the, at the way that the players are speaking, at, at, at the, the way they're kind of joking with each other, we didn't see that during the World Cup, and, and I wasn't there in India, but having spoken to some of the guys who were, it certainly def- I mean, it definitely wasn't there in India. When you're getting hammered 3-0 with an innings defeat in, in two consecutive matches, there's not much room for jokes. There just seems to be a new, a new freshness in the side. And, and, you know, the guys look excited to get back on the field and maybe put, put all the nonsense behind them and just start letting the, the bat and ball do the talking. Yeah, and that, that freshness must be helped by having, what, six uncapped players in the test squad. I don't know a few of them have played in other formats. And that, that it's, it's an interesting bunch, isn't it? Because they're all, obviously none of them play test ball, but they're all age 29 or older. They've been around. So those six, just for those of you who haven't seen the squad announcement, Razzie van der Dussen, Peter Milan, Dane Patterson, Buren Hendrix, Dwayne Pretorius, and uh, my favourite name of the lot, Rudy Second. Uh, I guess, t- t- tell us a bit about about those guys, especially which, which how many of them do you think will play and what, what can we kind of expect from from the ones who you think might take the field? Uh, Rusty, will def- Rusty van der Dussen will definitely play a- at Boxing Day with Timber Bavuma injured. Uh, that, that just means it's a straight swap at number five. Uh, I mean, Rusty was, apart from Fab Duplessis, the standout player during the World Cup. He's... He's played around the world. He, 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 he looks and talks like a senior player in the camp. I mean, he's been touted as a future captain, potentially. I, I don't know how that could happen with Tim Bavuma being the vice captain um, and earmarked for, for future leadership. But, but Rusty certain, certainly wouldn't be out of his depth doing it. Um, I mean, he's a quality player, can play all around the ground, works hard, can go through the gears, has got a good forward defensive and, and, and knows how to leave the ball outside his off stump. So he's a... I mean, he's a guy capable of averaging 45 to 40 to 45 in Test cricket. I, I guess the only question would be around Rudy Second. Do South Africa go for six specialist batsmen with Quinton de Kock keeping at number seven, or do they go with the extra um, the extra bowling option in the all rounder in Dwayne Pretorius? So I guess it's a shootout between Pretorius and Second. My th- sorry, if you're hearing if you're hearing birds. That is a traditional Hardy Dar, which is the bane of every Johanna, of Joe Berger's existence. So, sorry about that. Um, I, it's a tough one. I, I'm on the fence with this. My, my feeling is obviously that South Africa's problems have been scoring runs. And this is a good England bowling lineup, but not a very good batting lineup. So, you, you, you would think that the team that can score more runs will obviously come out on top. So, I like Rudy Second. He's got a one of the most delicious looking cover drives in all of cricket he, he just gets down on one knee and you know that's that's worth his selection alone i like pretorius but i don't know if he offers enough with the bats he, he's a handy he's a handy white ball player but he doesn't form me with that much confidence with the red ball so if it was up to me i would i would trust aiden markham and dean Elgar to act as a as a fifth bowling option but then you've only got the three seamers in Enric nokia kakisa and vernon philander so 
I think the selectors are going to go with Pretorius, but me personally, I would go with second. Okay, okay. And uh, any of those guys, do you think they're options for later in the series, or is this just sort of to get them around the squad and uh, and then maybe at a later date? The second of Pretorius, I guess it, it'll depend what hap- what happens in the first yeah. test, whoever plays. So I, I can see both of them playing. Obviously, Funadison will 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 play. Um, Hendricks and and Patterson are probably in the side as as cover to the frontline bowlers. I, I think if all goes according to plan, they won't play. Obviously, Lunga and Gidi, they'll hope, will be back for the for the third and fourth test, which means one of these guys will, will fall out of the squad. So, no, if, if, if plan A goes according to plan, I don't see the, the others playing. Feels like we've almost skirted around the issue a bit so far, but uh, Vernon Philander obviously retiring after a, a, a pretty stellar test career, I think, and, and kind of unique. I mean, bowling not much more than 80 miles an hour, getting sort of a little bit of nibble both ways and taking 200 wickets at 22 is is incredible really i mean uh i mean firstly from, from a personal point of view uh how are you holding up dan oh i i mean i love Werner fernanda as as someone whose physique could be described as a dad bod i i like seeing i like seeing someone with with my body shape thrive on the on, the, on an elite sports field it's it simultaneously gives me hope but also kind of makes me feel bad that i can't use my fitness as an excuse for my lack of a career um no, he's he's phenomenal. I mean, I, I was looking at the stats this, this earlier today on the top bowlers of the decade, and only four bowlers have had have a lower Test average than twenty three with a hundred plus wickets. And Dale Stain, Kachisa Rabada, Pat Cummings, and Vernon Philander are the only four bowlers to to have those numbers. I mean, Vernon Philander, as you said, two hundred sixteen wickets at twenty two point one six from sixty matches. I'm curious, what's your take? What's the English perspective on, on Vernon Fennel? I mean, here in South Africa, I think he's maybe even a little underrated because he doesn't have the pace of Rabada and Stain. But, I mean, the numbers are phenomenal. What's, what's your take on him? I think, I think that's, that's fair enough for, for a worldwide view that, uh, of him being underrated because it's not as if he's only ever done it when it's helped him. I guess you, there's always a need for that kind of accuracy, nagging line and length because he's, he's, he's bold key spells in Australia and series wins in Australia. He's, what take, took took a key four for an India one time? I seem to remember he he's done it like absolutely everywhere, um, and yeah, I mean I I just think back to that that Test debut, which has to go down as probably the one of the most extra, extraordinary kind of games of cricket of the decade. You remember the one? The uh, obviously remember the one <laughs> uh, when Clark made that hundred one out of two eighty four. Safra bowl out for ninety six, and then Philander just like I just nibbled it both ways and took 5.15 and 7 overs to bowl them out 47 and <laughs> stuff we want to it's just incredible and I think uh, I, I almost wonder actually why I mean you see a little bit more of the return of the of that sort of bowler I guess Mohamed Abbas is very much in that in that mould but and Peter Siddle I guess but but why more teams don't think that a guy who just lands on the same spot ball after ball is very skillful. Uh, can't have success kind of around the world because Philander is absolute proof that you can. I well, my, uh, I guess. my counter to that would be maybe maybe it's, it's it's actually an underrated skill that we just think that, oh, anyone can just turn up and land it on a consistent length that troubles the best batters in the world. But maybe the fact that, that uh, Bus is a good example, but maybe the fact that there aren't that many of them shows that, you know, we think that it's because we look at domestic cricket, county cricket, sunfoil cricket here in South Africa, that someone can just rock up and, and, and put on a decent length and trouble county players, that they can automatically do that to test batters. But as you say, Philander's ability to just just work out some of the best names in the business is remarkable. And his batting's not bad either. Average of 24, um, 8.50s. 
I would love to see him score 100. I, th- I think he's a, it would be a great shame if he retires without a test ton. And yeah, I mean, providing he doesn't get bounced out, I, I could see him, I mean, you know, fingers crossed, I could see him doing it against England. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. Uh, and I guess looking forward for South Africa, do you think, I mean, will they look to a similar type of player to replace him? Because he works well in that bowling lineup, doesn't he? It's sort of like the, uh, kind of like the ice to Abada's fire. And I guess the, the corollary to that is, is there another player like him out there in domestic cricket taking bundles of wickets at doing it like he does not that i've seen i i I mean i i've been living in the uk for the last year so it's been hard for me to uh to keep on top of the of the domestic stuff here in south africa but not that i've seen and you look at the guys who have been drafted into the side onrik nokia um obviously comes in for lungengidi another shock and awe type of bowler don olafia left i guess you know the the, probably the the south african closest to vernon philander would probably be carl abbott um (laughs) a guy who's quick enough but you know not 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 express pace but who just keeps asking questions um it'll be interesting to see what they do especially because Fernando now is the all-rounder you know maybe maybe Dwayne Pretorius will surprise us all maybe he can be the guy who with a bit of cutters with with some slower ball from the back of the hand maybe he could provide that fall I mean I don't think he'll ever average you know less than you know anything near that what Fernando does with the ball but you know as we've learned with Jacques Cullis, as South Africa learned with um, A.B. de Villiers, I think trying to replace a legend of the game, and, and I certainly think that Philander deserves to be recognised as a legend of the game, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that can kind of lead you down a, a, a quite a tricky path where you try and put square pegs into round holes. So, no, it looks like from, from the way things are going, that they're going to keep going with the, with the, the hard, fast men of, of South African cricket. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um... Uh, so I guess finally, Dan, what are your predictions for the series? We're, we're going to ask everyone on the pod this. So uh, first of all, your, what your scoreline? What do you think the scoreline is going to be? Uh, you know, I, I keep changing. If you asked me a month ago, I would have said England three, South Africa one. I don't see any draws. Um, I, I think both batting sides are too brittle for for us to have a five day um, showing of attrition. Um, but now I think maybe two all. I, I I think I think if I have to stick my neck out, I'm going to say two all. I'm going to say South Africa taking a two one lead, and then England coming to Johannesburg and someone just having one of those spells. I mean, I was I was at the Wonders when Stuart Broad had one of those spells and and bowled South Africa out in the day. So yeah, so so neck on the line, two all. I, I just I think it's going to be a great series. I, I really am looking forward to it. two great bowling lineups. Two. Two pretty pretty poor batting lineups with with strong middle orders. Yeah, I think I think two. What do you think? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I I guess the only way there could be a draw is if there's a pitch like the uh, the one at Cape Town last time. But I, I don't see that happening again. I think South Africa's best chance is if they just roll it as they've been rolling out where it, where it was around. So I, th- I think yeah, two all is pr- probably probably fair. Yeah. The, the the other two questions we're asking everyone are oh well sort of four is top run score from either side and top wicket taker for from either side top run score from either side i'm gonna go with roots for england he looks good i mean obviously that that double ton and i think the extra pace will will probably help him a little bit um top run scorer for south africa you know i'm gonna i'm gonna say rusty fun Edison. i I've, I've i've just got a feeling that He's gonna he's gonna really leave a mark on the series that we're gonna that we're gonna you know remember him by the series whether he does everything anything for the rest of his career but he's, he's thirty years old uh, will remain to be seen but I just I just like him at number five I think he's gonna score a lot of runs top wicket taker 
Oh, I mean, it's hard not to look past Rabada and, and, and Archer. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with them. I, I think, I mean, um, one of the most intriguing subplots of this series will be how Archer and Rabada go against each other. I'm going to say that Archer might just pip him. He, he just, just from what I've seen recently, Archer looks a little quicker. Um, although he struggled in New Zealand, didn't he? He, he wasn't so flash there, was he? No, it was, it was a weird one where he, uh, he, he just seemed to be able to turn it on kind of randomly basically the speed and just other times would be bowling like and it's not you get you do get a fair amount of bowlers who'll sort of like drop a little bit in speed when it's uh when it's not like the time for it but his is drastic it's from like sort of 90 plus to low 80s rather than from 91 to kind of 86 87 uh but i i think that i mean fitness will play a big part in this and obviously he's been struck down with a bug and so it'll be interesting to see if they pick him and if he does if he is 100 percent fit or if he is just sort of working his way back I know when I've had a stomach bug, I might be able to move a bit after a, a couple of days, but it takes me like a, a bit longer to be able to think about playing sport. I don't know. Maybe that's the difference between us and, and, and these guys, though. You know, we, we can't. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe not. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, Dan, thanks very much for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to having you again throughout the series. So, we've had Dan's, now we want uh, your predictions. Taha, leading wicket taker from either side? Um, I'll go for the obvious ones there. Uh, Rabada. And um, Archer. Right, sticking, sticking with what Dan went for. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, but in terms of, Rob, do you want to know my, you want to know my batsman, don't you? Uh, South Africa, Dean Elgar. Um, not in, not in great nick. Um, and he's played, mainly been playing uh, in the, uh, the MSL. Um, but, you know, I, I always love watching Dean Elgar about, I think he's one of, you know, he always comes under that bracket of underrated test cricketers out there. Um, and yeah, so I'll back him for South Africa. Um, for England, um, I'll go with Ben Stokes. Well, it's be top runs, Ben Stokes. All right, solid. I guess that makes sense. Um, you can't see past Rabada for all the obvious reasons. Um, it, it's really good to see Anderson back, fit, bowl a lot of overs in the practice games. So he's, he's back, he takes a new ball, fit as a fiddle. He's a freak, absolute freak. Uh, Broad, provided he's got over his um, his uh, stomach issues, as I'm sure he has, I'm sure he will. He'll he'll take the new well. He'll certainly be in in the three. Archer may take the new ball. Broad may take the new ball. But that is a that becomes a serious three because of Broad's pedigree out there, because of what he did at Joburg, um, because of how well he bowled over the summer as well, and because those pitches suit him. I'll go for, I'll go for Broad. I'll go for Broad um, to to be England's top wicket taker. Uh, with the bat, um, for South Africa, I like Aidan Markram a lot. Um, I know he's struggled a tiny bit of late. He made a he bagged a pair, didn't he, in India um, on, on a turner, I think, at Pune, I think it was. But he's only played nine, just had a look here, just played 19 test matches, 400s already. He's only 25 years old. I've interviewed him before. He's a really, really intelligent bloke, under 19 skipper, South Africa A skipper. A captain in waiting, I think, for for South Africa, and and he's made good runs. He made 150 against Australia, smashed them all over the park in a day. Uh, I think he's got proper pedigree. He was in our Wisdom Team of the Year, Test Team of the Year, at the end of last year. He had a brilliant 2018. Stuttered a bit through 2019, um, as has everyone else really who plays for South Africa. But he's class, I think. Um, and if he can get through that new ball, then I fancy him to to have a good series. Um, and for England, 
well, I always bet on Joe Root <laughs> every every series. Uh, he, he consistently over the years has made me made me a penny or two. Uh, gamble responsibly, folks, or not at all. Uh, and because he made the double hundred in the last Test match, and because you feel like he's constantly turning the corner, I'm going to go with Joe. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the, the Mark one is interesting because there have been some suggestions that even if Leach is fit, that England might go with a an all pace attack, possibly that the and he he is significantly better against pace and spin. Obviously, you mentioned the the struggles in India, and that will be mm. to do with the spin stuff. And he, against pace, he just lines up and just can just hit it anywhere. Basically, the over mid wicket can be just absolutely incredible, can't he? So. Yeah, he's re- you're right. He's a really good player of the quicks. Um, uh, I'd caution against going in there without a spinner at all. Although, if you're ever going to go on a tour with with an all man all, all pace attack, then it is is probably South Africa. What you saw with Leach in New Zealand is how much he struggles when the pitch doesn't offer him anything. And he was milked mercilessly in that first test match uh, and was was ineffectual, you know, unavoidably so. The other one is Matt Parkinson in the squad, but Matt Parkinson um, has not really pulled up any trees in, in the multi-day cricket that they've played uh, uh, on this tour so far. Um, Don so, Best called up as, a, as cover as well when, when yeah, Leach was struggling. Yeah. Which, and the fact actually that they called him up is, is interesting because Matt Parkinson is the cover there really and there was no suggestion that he was it at all. Uh, so it might be that it was kind of a bit of both that they kind of thought if actually if we want a spinner to hold down an end yeah. best is a better option at this stage than Parkinson possibly yeah so possibly possibly Craig Evans also called up at that point um, yeah. yeah they've now got a squad of 19 yeah. I mean you try whittling <laughs> it down from a squad of 19 and it's still going to end up with Ollie Pope taking the glove at some point yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, just on the Parkinson thing it, in a p- funny kind of way if you were going to pick a leggy then it would be almost counterintuitively on a tour like South Africa where you're only going to bowl a handful of overs anyway and you're only really going to begin to affect the game towards the back end of it so in a way rather than a conventional finger spinner that can be milked because there's not that much turn naturally for finger spinners live a little with a leggy but they've tried him and while we haven't seen him and he could have been ragging it past the outside edge and the figures just don't don't reflect that it's a push to say the least, I think that he'll feature on this tour. I mean, South Africa, Sri Lanka is another tour but uh, in two months' time. But if we're talking about an attack of Anderson, Broad, Archer, that's a very accurate attack. Um, you know, sometimes when you have Sam Curran in there, he, you, he's often seen as the maybe the weak link. Sure. If you've got an attack like that, and then Stokes is, you know, he said he's sure. going to bowl, um, that, that really does sort of play into picking Parkinson because you can sort of afford that risk. I, I yeah. Also, Root, Whenever he bowls, he's obviously a reluctant bowler because he's the skipper. But whenever he bowls, he often puts the so-called first-choice spinner slightly in the shade. Out bowled Leach here and, uh, at the Oval. Yeah, yeah. And, and bowled well in New Zealand as well. You know, picked up a couple as well in New Zealand. Uh, so that is a legit option, I think, to, to play the three out-and-out quicks, Stokes and Curran. And then have Root to do a few a few overs. The thing is, he's got enough on his plate, and you can understand why they'd be reluctant to go down that road. Uh, but yeah, that is a legitimate option. Is that what they're saying then, Ben? That, that I, th- I think a possibility. Uh, that it's, I think it's a possibility. Yeah, I, I don't think it's uh, there's anything close to a confirmed lineup yet, especially because they don't know the fitness of of these three guys for sure. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I think that that is something that hasn't been discounted yet. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Do you want to hear my uh, picks for? Leading run scorer, yeah, etc. You know it's rude of us not to have asked. What, what are right, your picks, right. Ben? 
so Blimey, what lead, are your picks? Leading wicket takers, I'm going with the old stage. I'm going with Jimmy and uh, and Vernon Flander. Flander in his uh in his oh, last series. <laughs> uh, as Dan says, yeah. The, the swan song for Big Vern. Eh? Yeah, yeah, just nibbling it around. I, I can see those two just uh, like finding enough in those services. Despite, despite them being so quick, I can see that like it could be those two that, that define it, basically. Uh, with the bat, I fancy Joe Denley for England. I think that uh, he's actually looked on the cusp of sort of a, maybe a defining innings in his test career like he's obviously been in in good nick uh getting like starts decent con- contribution to england success or totals at least and, and not and not quite kicking on like, i fancy him to get a couple in this series i'm gonna go with joe denley for england's leading run scorer wow what a what a story joe's is eh? <laughs> isn't it great yeah and yeah look he's he's played really well in the warm-ups played well in, in new zealand um nobody is questioning whether he bats at first drop or not anymore Apart from if, if Dom Sibley struggles Unless a bit. Unless he's <laughs> shunted up the top, yeah, if Sibley begins to struggle a bit. Yeah, why not? Why not? It's a, it's a real classic feel-good story, Joe Denley. He gave a brilliant interview to Joe Harmon in the upcoming magazine. And on wisdom.com as well. And on wisdom.com. Different yeah. pieces, so make sure you check both of them. Uh, yeah, and he was saying to Joe, you know, got to a point where he didn't know which, literally didn't know how to hold the bat. Yeah. I've heard other test cricketers say exactly those words. Uh, your mind's so scrambled when you're not scoring runs. This was when he was at Middlesex, struggling to stay in that team. This was only three or four years ago. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an amazing story, the Joe Denley one, and long may it continue. And it's a sign of how impressive he's been is that he's almost this insurance policy for England in terms of if, if an opener fails, which is what happened in the Ashes, you know, Tenley's the guy you sort of move around. Like Moe Nally was a few years ago, you know, if there was an issue in England's batting order, they'd sort of mess around with Moe Nally and send him there you know, to three or open and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, you, we, we kind of take for granted that because he's a bit older and more experienced that you kind of, you can, can do basically whatever you want to him. You can kind of <laughs> ask him to do whatever. Well, oh, yeah, sure, I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll, and, he, and he does it all like pretty well, basically. But it's it's, it's actually remarkable to be able to, like a, like not many cricketers can do that to adjust their role from game to game and still find, sure, limited success so far, but he's never looked out of place at any of the things he's really been asked to do. And uh, I think it is, time that we kind of maybe stop thinking of him as a stopgap number three and think of him as England's number three. It's an age and, thing, and isn't it? It's yeah, it is, if, he, if he's 30, people start saying, ah, oh, he's got he's got the technique, he's got the temperament, he's got, he can face the quicks. It looks like he's he's got something about him to have a test career. But because he's 33, maybe even 34, then you start to move into the, into that that reading of it, you know. I don't think it's just that. It? It's I, not. It's uh, not. It's a perception thing. It's not necessarily a fair thing either. Mm. I think it's what one the perception of him being, you know, sort of a stroke maker, not sort of a stodgy three, um, but also the fact that he did get selected in the side on the basis of one really outstanding season. Before that, you know, we we've talked about it. He really did struggle in county career, so it's kind mm-hmm. of like, mm-hmm. how's he ended up here? Sure, he shouldn't be here, but really, he's justified his place, and he's. Deserves to be here. Yeah, and and then you move below him. So four, five, six, seven. That is a gorgeous looking four, five, six, seven now with you know, Root, Stokes, Pope, Butler. Mm. Now I know there's a a Bearstow shaped issue around around who who else can potentially come in there, but that to me looks like a a rock solid world class middle order. 
Uh, and then if you if you follow up with a dasher, say current at eight, that starts to look like a very very sexy middle order for me. Um, Pope Pope made a hundred last week in the warm up game. He can't stop scoring hundreds whenever he goes out to bat. You feel like he is the missing piece in that middle order jigsaw to just to to hold the whole thing together. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see that lot. Yeah, so so as I say, I'm going for for Joe Denley for for England, and I think I'm going to go for for Faf for South Africa. Um, I just He's obviously a very good batsman. He's done it, done it loads. And I just, uh, I fancy that South African captains have a tendency to turn up against England, and mm-hmm. uh, I fancy that he 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 could do it this time. Uh, of of all the WhatsApp cricketers that I have in my phone, mm-hmm. I have Faf Duplessis, and he has the coolest and sexiest WhatsApp photo of all of world cricket that in my experience he looks i've just brought it up again he just looks so sexy bronzed got those sort of far away eyes mm. he, he wears a, a good tight t-shirt doesn't he ben yeah he does he's got really excellent triceps yeah Bath, you've I mean, said this to me before because a lot of cricketers they focus on the on the on the looking good which is the and, biceps, and it's in black and white definition. as well just look at that just look at that oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's I excellent know. Yeah. Yeah. no he's he's anyway, really moving good on yeah um, moving on yeah uh so yeah and then score lines all of you Dan went 2-2. Two, two. Oh, 3-1 uh, England. No, sorry, 2-1 England. 2-1 England. You think it's going to be a draw? Interesting. Well, you know, a bit well, of rain in one. South Africa. Yeah. There's, there's, there's always a little bit here and there and, you know, things happen. There's always one draw somewhere. All right. <laughs> Not true, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no. um, yeah, I'll go 2-1 England. Uh, yeah, 2-1 England with the caveat that I've never, ever, ever got a series result right ever in my life. So it's an utter irrelevance, whatever I've said. Okay, well, I was going to go 2-1, now I'll go 2-2, two, two, now that you said that. so uh, Right, just for the hell of it, yeah. fine. Um, Searing insights as ever by the Wisdom team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, there's been uh, plenty of cricket around the world since we uh, since we last brought you uh, a weekly show. Uh, England women. Uh, clean sweep. Clean sweep in Malaysia against Pakistan. Well, one of the one of the matches got rained off, but you know. Oh, oh, oh right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and Danny Wyatt. <laughs> Go tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> Danny, Danny Wyatt back in the runs. Was that right? Yeah, uh, her first ODI hundred after mm. absolutely loads of games. Sort of, obviously, she cracked it in T Twenty cricket and ODI cricket. You still wondered whether, especially because Amy Jones had emerged, looks so good at the top of the order whether that they might sort of say to Danny, just be the, the best T20 player you can be. And, and if we ever need you in ODIs... You're we'll... right, but it would be a weird distinction, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. If you're going to hit Australia for a 50-ball 100 in T20s, mm-hmm. then surely you've got a chance at 50 overs. Well, that that's what I have thought for a while. And I think that top of the order is the place for her. Because the thing with, with Wyatt is that she uh, she is a proper batter. She's not just a, a hit-em-and-hope kind of player. And it's about giving her the freedom to make her understand that I remember mm-hmm. in, in county cricket she got a brilliant 100 I think for Sussex in a championship decider where she kind of battered through the innings set up a total of 250 that was sort of a, a, a match winning one and that's the that's the kind of innings of like a, a proper player not of the the slogger that she's sometimes been mm-hmm. not as much she sometimes think has felt that she is mm-hmm. uh, so I think the top of the order just basically say just do whatever you want to do basically if you go out there and you feel like oh I can hit the first ball for six like and just hit everything from then on then do that if you feel like I need to play myself in then do that if you feel like oh this surface calls me to that then basically just trust herself and yeah I, uh, I really hope that that's where it can go from now and it looks like a really good lineup I know that Sarah Taylor having retired is uh, that's obviously a loss for England but it does look a good so you've got what the White and Bowman at the top and then uh, Knight at three Siver at four 
Jones at five, Wilson at six. There's mm-hmm. like you've got the right players in the right positions there. I think possibly you might want to move Siver up if uh, if they get a good start, or you move Jones up if if England are struggling a bit. But it's it's, it's a good team that I think. Yeah, and Lisa Kitely, new coach, was with the team. Uh, she wasn't making the decision, so I gather, but she was with the team uh, talking with Heather and so on and trying to put a strategy in place, basically, mm-hmm. for, for the upcoming tournament. Uh, it would be really interesting to see how they evolve from the the Robinson years. Um, if you see new new figures or if it's more of a continuation of, of, of that which they've done so far. Yeah, well, one new figure, Sarah Glenn, took fourth, did she? Was it on, on debut or was it in a... a no, that game. that was the third ODI, so that was the one that uh, I think got abandoned eventually. But yeah, twelve wickets in the first six matches. Um, we when when she was selected, where we talked on this podcast about how other sides in world cricket have you know top class wrist spinners, and that's that's one thing England just haven't had for forever, time, really? forever. Yeah, basically, um, some great finger spinners. Um, but Loads yeah, of left arm spinners. Yeah, no leggies. Yeah, but a leggy, especially with the World Cup coming up in in Australia. Um, that's a massive find. Um, yeah, just 20 years old and yeah, a really good start um, to, to her career. So um, yeah, you can sort of see her lining up alongside Eccleston in Australia and that would be, you know, quite a, quite a pairing. Yeah, yeah. It'd be an amazing story of her as well. I mean, yeah. Not made a debut until until December to then play a World Cup that England going is probably still second's favourite for, mm. for you'd say. Um, the, the other big international cricket of the past week was... Uh, India against West Indies. India clinched both the T20I and the ODI series 2-1. Some, mm. some good games there. Uh, yeah, uh, but a good positive signs for West Indies, especially Kyron Pollard, both as a captain and back to form. Hit seven sixes in his first it's, ODI century in, in three years, I think. Yeah, that is good to see. Obviously, leading them now and doing it quite well from what you read. Mm. Um, impressive bloke, really, Pollard. Yeah. But, but it's, it's interesting that whenever India play ODI series at home against teams... You always, we always ask how the other teams got on first. That's yeah, always yeah. The, the main story, like how badly they've got beat. If they manage to nick one, it's never, oh, did you see that Rohit Sharma got 100? Or <laughs> did you see that Virat Kohli's not out, 80, winning another game? Because it's it's almost just accepted. You don't even really need to go through those those facts because they are already there. It's more, oh, did you see Virat Kohli got a duck? Yeah. Because that's yeah. the story, right? Yeah, that's yeah. it. But he yeah. didn't make Wisdom's team of the series combined 11 surprisingly did he not? no because he, he only got that 80 on the last game and uh yeah uh, um he- my brilliant brilliant 100 um poor Anne, 80 odd in 50 odd balls in the last game yeah. uh they're still an uneven team um roston chase batting at three in a 50 over game <laughs> in the west in, in india i'm not sure about that Evan Lewis struggled a bit up top i noticed in the final game as well um that said they are beginning to to compete regularly, I think, in 50-over cricket. Um, obviously in 20-overs anyway. Uh, and reasons to be cautiously cheerful, I would say, about West Indies' uh, one-day form at the moment. Mm. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go. Yeah, there, there were some significant positives for India from this series. I think K.R. Rahul is, looks like he's probably nailed down that opening slot and we might have seen the last of Shikhar possibly. Right. Uh, he got he had what's it a double century partnership with Rohit Sharma mm-hmm. and another yeah. century stand as well. Uh, it just just looks like he's like they they bat really well together. Maybe they're slightly similar in terms of players, which could be an issue. But India haven't minded having a top three that are all kind of uh, not not blistering, but the guys who are going to get big scores and end up catching up at the end. Uh, the other thing is that Shreyas Iyer looks like he might have mm-hmm. nailed down that troublesome 
number four slot. He's got mm. something like six or seven half centuries in his first 12 ODIs, which is a very impressive start. I think the thing from this series is he played a different kind of innings than we've seen before. I think in the past we've seen him uh, batting really well with Rohit Sharma or Virat Kohli. Uh, and doing like basically following in their wake. So when I think when Rohit got the two hundred and or one of his double hundreds, mm-hmm. uh, crazy you can say that about a guy in ODI cricket. Uh, he sort of blitzed a seventy at the other end. And another time when Virat Kohli kind of led a chase, he played a key part in a partnership, which was very impressive. But in the first game, I think he was partnering Rishabh Pant, who he captains in the IPL. Mm-hmm. I think you saw the dynamic there. He was kind of even though Rishabh Pant played more international cricket, he was telling him like how to play and what to do and that sort of thing, and played a really responsible hand and then in the next game they put on about 70 and 20 balls the pair of them uh so yeah that that's that is positive it's about, about time india sorted out that spot yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh yeah or, or, or maybe they haven't who knows Dinesh will be back in and do this <laughs> yeah. of, head of the super series or whatever it is the, 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 the new south wales bushfires have obviously been yeah. worrying concerning from a number of points of view but it has affected our little sphere of cricket as well there was a a bbl match that uh was called off a few balls early because of smoke getting onto the pitch and Peter Siddle had to be treated after the game for smoke inhalation, which is mm-hmm. like very concerning, I guess. Dystopian. Uh, yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 I guess, other sort of concerning news is that Ireland have had to cancel two upcoming test matches for varying reasons, but both relating to financial issues. So one is a home test against Bangladesh that they are now going to play some T20Is instead because those are what bring in the money and because I think they, there was there was a line in the release about the full member fund not quite being what they thought it would be sort of thing so uh, and that's led to them having to kind of reconsider these things so test, a test match planned against Sri Lanka which wasn't in the broadcast deal when it was made in 2013 or whatever uh, so no one will be able to show it on TV and the rules and regulations say that every test match has to be shown on TV so they've had to, had to cancel it. They can't play it, uh, which is sad and weird. Uh, and uh, finally, we've had, the, we've had the IPL auction. And uh, Pat Cummins has become the uh, the most expensive overseas signing of all time. And he, he, he was a bit down his luck. He needed that, didn't he? He's a... Yeah, he just needs that break, doesn't he? Yeah, exactly. Just uh, not enough being the best fast bowler in the world and uh, looking and, very and, handsome And too. Owen Morgan, having had a, a year or three where he hasn't really featured, mm. has gone for an obscene amount of money as well. I think to McCullum's team. Mm. Um, he said he just had to have him. Mate traits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if Liam Livingston got a nod in the IPL. I imagine probably not this time. He's not. Uh, he didn't put himself he didn't in the auction. forward. Yeah. Okay, but he is playing in the BPL, uh, the BBL, mm-hmm. uh, and doing some extraordinary things. Um, he's an intriguing cricketer that England has not quite seen the, the best of just yet. Uh, but he's smashing it out of the park for fun um, against the the real quicks out there. Uh, Chris Jordan as well took one of the catches oh, of the year, yeah. running around at long on one hand or diving. Did um, you see the bit a little bit before that when he was no. running? He, so he was running around the boundary rope. I've got to go Christmas shopping. <laughs> they, they, they were running around the boundary rope and uh, he, he sort of, uh, obviously you've seen fast bowlers stop with their feet a lot, but he didn't stop with his feet. He flicked it up to, uh, I can't remember who his mate was, but whoever his mate was, he then he then held it in. It was an incredible oh, right, Okay, well that's nice. That's basically football, right? Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, 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 okay. Well that's different. That's a football podcast. Yeah. Now I am interested. <laughs> Okay, are we and done here, Ben? T- t- Tom Banton as well got some oh, more. Yeah, <laughs> some more. Uh, yeah. uh, but no, yeah, we, we are now done. Thanks thanks for sticking with us, Phil, and, and you listeners. It's a pleasure. Uh, so we'll, we, we, we won't be going daily during the Safri series, but we will be uh, having bumper wraps at the end of each each test, so make sure you listen out for those. 
and uh, yeah thanks for listening once again and if you enjoyed it please uh, tell your friends subscribe and leave us a five star review Podcast Network.